and I want to uh, break away a little bit. I know normally I'm in the Gospel of John, but I thought that with Thanksgiving weekend and it falling on the first Sunday of the month of October like it does and having communion, that it'd be great to preach out of this particular book. First and Second Thessalonians are actually two of my favorite wee little books. They deal with a lot of really cool things and my big thought for us this morning is this. Are you counting your blessings or drowning in your sorrows? Are you counting your blessings? It's Thanksgiving weekend, amen? All right, for those that are visiting, you can tell you're in a Baptist church. They're sometimes afraid of the sound of their own voice. It's Thanksgiving weekend, amen? That's better. How many of you got a turkey in the oven right now? All right, I see a few hands. I do as well. Can't wait. One of my favorite things is to open the door and that swift of Thanksgiving turkey hits you in the face, right? But let me ask you, on this Thanksgiving weekend, are you thankful this morning? Are you thankful this morning? And I mean really thankful. We just sang, it is well with my soul. But is it? Is it? Thanksgiving. It's a time for giving thanks. It's a time to ponder all that God has done for us and all that we have in our lives for which we not only should be, we must be thankful. Well, the question for all of us is, will you be thankful? You see, for many, even here this morning, as I look at you and you look at me, I fear that maybe the song we should have sung was, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrows. Because that's kind of the projected attitude of the culture today. See, let me ask you this question. Are you ready for this one? Because this is the question of our culture. Are you happy? Are you happy? Are you at rest, at peace? People ask, are you content? How about this one? Are you free from anxiety? Are you free from fears in your life? Is your life, is your day more focused on the God of eternity and the truth of the gospel, or are you focused on the life that is temporary and the deception of the world? Are you weighed down with a heavy heart? Are you anchored down by bitterness or haunted by failures? Are you right now fighting to stay in control and afraid of both your past and your present and indeed your future? Thanksgiving weekend. See, I want to invite us this weekend to see beyond turkey dinners, to see beyond even family gatherings. Because you know, if I can just get a little bit personal, I'm amazed that we often retreat to our biological families from our churches as the place to find thankfulness. And I want to point something out to you, and please don't jump to conclusions until I finish the statement, all right? Here's the radical statement. You see, church, this church, Calvary Baptist Church for me, 
is more my family than even my wife Debbie and my sons Brandon and Jordan and my daughter Abigail and my my daughter-in-law Stacy and my grandson Theo. You see, when Jesus was faced with this and his mother and his brothers were outside a home waiting to speak with him, here's how Matthew tells us. He says, while he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, I am not saying I don't love my wife and my children and my grandson. I love them with all my heart. And nor am I saying that I am freed in any way from my responsibilities as a husband and as a dad and as a granddad. But I am saying this. My relationship with Debbie as brother in Christ is actually stronger and more eternal than my relationship with her as husband. Because I will spend eternity with Debbie as my sister in Christ, and that is wonderful. You see, on this side of the, of the kingdom, either Debbie or I, one of us is going to pass away. And we're going to go through that pain. But in heaven, it never happens. And that I am thankful for. See, I love sitting down with family and friends. And I will love sitting down with my family this afternoon to eat turkey. But I love sitting down here now with you and my church family and eating at the table of God's Word and later at communion. I have to tell you, no matter what goes wrong in my life, can I tell you that getting together here like this on Sunday morning with my family of believers just makes the world right for me. It really does. And I want to say Thank you. Thank you. Believe it or not, God's Word has a lot to say about thankfulness, and 1 Thessalonians is probably one of the greatest places to go learn about it. 1 Thessalonians was written by the Apostle Paul, and maybe you might be surprised to know that he wrote it from the city of Corinth, where we get those other letters called 1 and 2 Corinthians. And Paul is writing to them because he's heard from Timothy that things are going well there, all things considered. And let me give you a bit of background. You see, this church got established because Pilus and two other guys named Silas and Timothy were used of God to bring the gospel to this city called Thessalonica. And that was the capital of Macedonia during Paul's second missionary journey. And you can read all about that in Acts chapter 16 and seven, or 17 and 18. Now, according to Luke in the book of Acts, Paul ministered for three Sabbaths. Now, that's three weeks. Now, for those of you that we've heard pray, those of you who heard that Calvary Baptist is 25 years old, we're trying to start Mile One Mission, which is to plant churches. Paul goes into this city. He has three weeks of meeting. Poof, bang, boom, there's a church. If it was easy as that, man, everybody would be doing it, wouldn't they? I sometimes read this and go, man, Lord, why can't it be like this? And goes for three weeks, and he, and he sees this church planted of God. He had a wonderful opportunity there with the Gentiles, and the church was established very quickly. But if you read it, especially in Acts, you'll read about persecution came suddenly to this wee little new church. 
And it came at the hands of a Jewish instigation because they were against Paul. And so basically they said, Paul was here teaching the people to be against Caesar. That was a capital crime. So Paul has to leave, and his little company has to leave right away. And some months later, Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to help and get the church structured with elders and deacons and to report back to him how things were going. And again, you can read about it in Acts 17 and 18. Now, the detail back was the church was actually doing quite well, with some exceptions. You see, in just a short few months, some had died in the church assembly. And the young church wondered if they had missed the second coming of Christ. And that's why this letter is centered so much. If you read 1 Thessalonians, those five chapters, much of it has to do with the return of Jesus. But this misunderstanding about the return of Jesus, along with suffering and persecution, had created a sense of fear and anxiety. The church was afraid. The church was anxious. And don't miss this, a wrong understanding of Scripture, some unexplainable setbacks and some opposition had caused a spirit of unthankfulness. That's interesting. If I could have sound effects, that's where you'd like the little light bulb to go ding. I want you to remember that. You see, some were quitting, some were doubting, and still others were not living as those who believed in the resurrection unto life because they were confused about it. And so Paul writes to them and explains that Jesus has not yet come back, but that when he does, you don't have to be anxious or afraid because the dead in Christ will rise and every Christian has the joy and hope of eternal life as theirs. And so right out, you want to be thankful, you realize if you are a son and a daughter of God and you die physically, you will rise from the dead. I often walk through cemeteries. I know that's a morbid thing to say on a Thanksgiving weekend. I love to walk through cemeteries and wonder about who's buried and who knows Jesus and what's that going to be like. I really do. And so he gives them this hope, but Paul also deals with some relationship issues and some living issues. And so at the end of this letter, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul summarizes what it means to live a holy life, to lead a life in light of the fact that we have this hope. Do you realize, for Christians, you never say goodbye. It's never goodbye. It's always and only ever, see you later. If you're a Christian, I have people here that know my aunt and my uncle, and I lost my aunt not too long ago to cancer, but she found a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I remember when my aunt, who I adored, and it was such a big part of my life, passed away. I didn't have to say goodbye. I told my, my aunt Cynthia, I will see you later in heaven. And I don't say that to make myself feel good. Folks, I say that to you as, as much, I believe that as much and as real as I'm standing here in front of you. That's not a fairy tale for me. That's not a story. That's not a myth or an urban legend. I believe this. And so Paul says, if that's true in your life, then that affects the way you live. You see, Paul stresses that knowledge must affect the way we live. Biblical knowledge should affect the way you live. And if you actually look back in verses 14 and 15, notice what Paul says. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Be patient with them all. 
and see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to anyone, to one another and to everyone. Notice how it's internal and works its way outward. How you're supposed to help people in your inner circle, that'll be the church, and as you do that, it'll always ripple itself out to everyone. And so verses 16 to 24 that Daniel read, Paul focuses on our responsibility for spiritual health as it relates to the church. This is, if you really wanted to write it down, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 24 is kind of like a, a guidebook for how to be thankful in church. That's really what it is. And it's a guidebook for how to be thankful no matter what the circumstances. Now, come on, all right? Honestly, if you knew that you could be happy and thankful and joyful and dialed in no matter what, let me ask you, who wouldn't want that? Especially in a 21st century culture. I dare you to try and get through tomorrow with just the news and be happy, thankful, and joyful. All right? But what if you knew you could be no matter what your circumstances? So Paul lays it out in a series of commands. So if you take notes, and I think there's a place to take notes in the back of your bulletin. Here it is. There's the spiritual commands to doing God's will. And my grandfather used to say, it doesn't have to be complicated to be profound. So here is the very first complex, profound thought of how to know you're doing God's will. Rejoice always. Are you just blown away by my ability to just open up Scripture and explain it? Rejoice always. You've never heard it before. This is novel new stuff. <laughs> it's okay to laugh. All right? Rejoice always. Now think about that Paul would say this to this church in Thessalonica. Because in real time, they're going through persecution. In real time, they're suffering. They've got worries and doubts about Jesus' second coming. They're having problems adjusting to church life. In fact, if you actually study it, growth and change were taking its toll. But Paul says, rejoice. He told the Romans in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Why? So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Do you see what Paul does? Joy and peace in believing fuels power to hope. The attitude of Christian joy is essential if you are a believer, if you're going to thoroughly understand Paul's expectation here. Did you ever know, or do you know, that there are 30 three separate scriptures in the New Testament exhorting you to rejoice. 33 separate times, most of which was Paul writing them, so he was aware of most of them, and he recognized the reality of very real human emotions. Paul wasn't saying, rejoice because my life is perfect. He wasn't saying, rejoice because I live a Skittles life. He wasn't saying, rejoice because I can do my Lotto 649 happy dance. All right? This was a guy who was beaten 39 times, saved one three times. He was a shipwrecked in a boat. He was put in prison. He was stoned to death, and God had to raise him from the dead. In fact, when this guy came to Jesus in Acts chapter 8 and 9, we're told that go to Paul and tell him, I'm going to save him and use him, and he will suffer many things for my namesake. That's not the kind of testimony you want to hear in church. 
So Paul isn't saying rejoice always, but not understanding that life happens. But he knew that believers must transcend their sorrows with a continual focus on Christian joy. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says, Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I cannot tell you how often I have looked at that verse and said, Paul, how? Paul, how do I do this? Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Is such a focus possible? Yes. Why? Because Christian joy comes from God. You don't have to produce it. It's not on you to create it. Christian joy constantly flows from what the believer continually knows to be true about God and about his eternal saving relationship to him regardless of circumstances. So it doesn't matter what's happening in your life. I love this. The 17th century minister named Jeremy Taylor, he was persecuted for his faith and his house was plundered, his family driven out, and his estate confiscated. And here's what he wrote. I am fallen into the hands of publicans and they have taken all from me. What now? They have not taken away my merry countenance, my cheerful spirit, and a good conscience. They have still left me with the providence of God and all His promises, my hopes of heaven, and my charity to them. Two, I still, I sleep and digest, I eat and drink, I read and meditate, and he that hath so many causes of joy and so great should never choose to sit down upon his little handful of thorns. What an attitude. The phrase that Paul uses, rejoice evermore, or rejoice always, actually means, are you ready for this? At all times, be rejoicing. (laughs) Paul told the Philippians, remember? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. You see, one of the keys to being a counter of blessings is to think about how God has blessed you. Jeff spoke about it in his prayer, even about Calvary. We thank God for the way God used people to come together and create Calvary 25 years ago. And how God has been faithful for 25 years despite us. God has been faithful despite us and yet using us. God has been faithful not needing us but glorifying himself by using us. God's been doing it. How often do you rehearse the blessings of God? The older I get, the smarter my dad gets. And he's always told me, don't take a Polaroid of a friendship and define the whole friendship by the Polaroid. But how often do we do that? How often do we have 30 years at a job where we loved it, but we had a bad spell, and then we kind of define the entire job by the bad spell and not by the 29 years that were great? How often can we have a 25, a 30, a 10, a 5, a 15-year marriage and we have a rough spot where things don't go right and then we get dwelling on the rough spot and then we come to define the entire marriage by the rough spot, not ever realizing how God has been good to me over all those years? I can tell you, it never ceases to amaze me when, I, when Debbie and I are in a disagreement or I'm angry or I'm holding something against Debbie and I rehearse what I'm against her about 
versus if I think about all the things we've done together as a couple, I just can't stay mad if I have a disposition and an attitude of thankfulness. And so Paul says, therefore, no event or circumstance in the Christian's life apart from sin can or should diminish your joy. A biblical perspective on Christian joy provides numerous reasons for believers to rejoice. Let me just give you a few. You should rejoice here today because always in God's righteous character, which even in times of trouble, he demonstrates so faithfully to us. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exults and and with my song I shall thank him. Another reason this morning you should rejoice. Believers should rejoice always because of the spiritual blessings and redemption of Christ they possess. If you go to Ephesians chapter 1, just try to read verses 3 to 8 and not be thankful. Where you get a list of all the things that God has done for you. Believers should have joy in God's providence as He works everything for their ultimate good. Romans 8.28, and for we know, not for we hope, not for we think, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We should be joyful for the Word of God. We should be joyful for answered prayer. Isn't it funny funny how often we will rehearse all the prayers to God that He hasn't answered and yet don't rehearse and be thankful for all the things He has answered? Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, let me ask you, will that be your life this week? This one verse that you will concentrate on filling your headspace with these things. If you're going to do that, I will tell you heads up, you're probably not going to want to read the news. <laughs> you're probably not want to going to look at a magazine stand. You're probably not want to get around the water cooler and listen to the Monday morning talk because that's not likely what's going to be happening. In fact, I tell you, do a little social experiment. This week, around everybody at home, around the office, at school, in the classroom, only talk about wonderful things and see how long you, you get through before people start looking at you going, you're weird. What's your problem? Why are you so thankful? Why are you always talking about these things? Paul commands this church, think about the blessings of God in order to rejoice in the blessings of God. You know why you're not happy, joyful people? Because you're not thinking about what God has done for you. What He does for you every day. You want to be thankful for your life, thankful for your church, thankful for your family? Then think of all the ways God has blessed you and rejoice always in those things. So, rejoice always. Secondly, ready? Here another is just an amazingly profound thought. Pray always. There it is. Pray always. Notice this, believers filled with joy will be believers filled with prayer. Believers filled with joy will be believers filled with prayer. Prayer is both an act and an atmosphere. It's the expression used here of describing. When Paul says pray without ceasing, it actually means having an unexpected intermittent cough. It's just something that can just grab you at any moment. 
You don't think about coughing most of the time. Coughing just comes upon you. Do we have that attitude in our prayer? The highest of all motives for believers to pray is the desire to worship the Lord Jesus. You remember when the disciples came to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, he says, pray then in this way. Notice how he starts. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you ever realize that the entire first section of Jesus teaching disciples how to pray is first, notice that he's your Father. And then secondly, adore him. If I can, I, I've picked on people. I, I struggle. I, I struggle to say these things because I don't want you to think I'm always picking apart prayer. But I always get a little bit. Have you ever noticed when we pray, we say, and God, and God, and God, and God, and God, and God, and, 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 and Jesus, and God, and Jesus. And, and I've often wondered, why don't we just say, Father? I have to be honest. I, I don't, I'm 46. I have a really good relationship with my dad. I don't call my dad Wayne. I call him Dad because he's my dad. And, and I don't know why I would go to God in prayer, because to me, that's God's like official name. In fact, you read the Old Testament, they would get a ritual bath, they would change their clothes before they'd even write, write it. And so Jesus teaches us, look, because of me, you now go to God as Father. And can I say, when I pray to my Heavenly Father as Father, I, I don't know about you, but it just seems so much more to me than as God. I got to be honest, God scares me. He is a consuming fire. He speaks and it happens. But my Father is safe to go to. He listens to me. He's pleased me. John Piper once said that in prayer, think of it as your dad sitting in that big recliner in front of a fire and you come in from a cold winter's night and you just crawl up into your dad's lap and you talk to your dad. Think of prayer like that. Where you can go and you can pray always to him, but you got to do it in worship. A desire for fellowship with God. Remember David when he said in Psalm 42, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Do you pant after him? And so this is the main motive that we bring our requests for daily needs. Did you notice that in Jeff's prayer? How he started with Scripture? How he started by acknowledging who God is and what he has done before he ever got to our requests? Because when you do that, because one of his prayer requests was that we would pray in the will of God. Well, when you worship God for who God is, it's a whole lot easier to ask for the right things. See, if you're parents, you know, have you not ever had this when your kids come to you? And they're like, um, can I have? Can I have? Can I have? And they think like you're a bank. They honestly, before they ever get a bank machine, they think you're the bank machine. And they really believe that if whatever they ask you for, you can just produce it. But have they ever, and then as your kids get older and they realize, you know, if I first go to mom or dad and give them a hug and tell them I love them and how great they are to me, and then I make my request, it, it happens like the odds of me getting the request go way up. And I can tell by the parents looking at me, you've experienced this. And I can tell by the young people going, that works. <laughs> that works. Thanks for the insider trading information. I, I love it when my kids hug me 
I, I got to be honest, and, and I'm, I'm a sinful dad. Uh, I had one of my sons text me not too long ago and said, I love you, Dad. And I literally text back and said, what's wrong? Because <laughs> I, I thought I was being set up for something. But isn't it really, really nice when your children come to you and just say, I love you? Thank you for being my mom or being my dad. Pray always. Pray without ceasing. He says without ceasing. Not just some things. You see, many people will say, I, Pastor Steve, I don't have time to pray. Well, let me ask you this. If you prayed as much as you worried, how much more would your life have a different perspective? Just pray when you want to worry, and you'll find you have plenty of time for prayer. And don't just pray without ceasing for some of the things, some of the time, but in all of the things, all of the time. And you see, some people think God only cares about religious things. Like, I can only pray that God will help me. We've heard in the last weeks that we should pray for open doors to witness, and we should. Or that we should pray to God about people I should invite to church, or how much should I give to my church or serve in my church. But let me tell you this, is God interested in your car payments? Yes. Is God interested in how your job is going? Yes. Is God interested in your headache? Yes. He's interested in every detail of your life. Remember, Matthew said he knows the hairs of your head. There is nothing you cannot pray about. If it's worth worrying about, it's worth praying about. There's nothing insignificant to God. You can pray about anything and everything, and we should pray without ceasing. So rejoice in Him, constant in prayer. And here's the third one. Give thanks always. Give thanks always. Now, I told you there are 33 verses in the New Testament that tell us about rejoicing. Here's one for you. There are over 500 verses in the Bible that speak of thankfulness. 500 verses. Now, tell me this. Why do you and I complain so much? And have you ever thought about our English language, how we overdo it? I love pizza, but I hate you. Really? We flick around love and hate like they're simple little adjectives to flick around. But God tells us, no, 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 give thanks always. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then, let us continually, notice, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. 2 Samuel twenty two fifty. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. 1 Chronicles 16, 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Psalm 717, I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 11, 117, 1, praise the Lord, all nations, laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Do you know what the difference between Christians and the world is? In Romans 1.21, listen to how Paul describes the world. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, watch, or give thanks. 
know what the difference between a Christian is and a non-Christian according to the Bible? Is, is the proof is a Christian's thankful. A Christian gives thanks. You see, when God saves someone, when someone truly meets God and God produces a new heart that longs to obey and wants to then be thankful in everything. Right now, David is learning Greek in his course right now. David Drover is. And the Greek phrase here for in everything refers to all that occurs in life. In everything, give thanks. In everything that occurs in life, no matter what, no matter what the struggles, no matter what the trials, no matter what the testing, no matter what the troubles occur in the lives of Christians, they are to give thanks. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at that and I go, is that even possible? And and here it is. It is always to be thankful no matter what the circumstance. Now, for that to be possible, notice a play in words. Notice what the verse says in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, in everything, not for everything. Did you notice that? In everything give thanks, not for everything. Whatever circumstances you are in, be content and give thanks. Paul provides us the background of this in Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, if you and I were honest, how much time do we spend comparatively giving thanks versus worrying and being anxious and being critical? How would our lives divide up? Paul told the Philippians, be anxious for nothing. Do not fret or have anxiety. Now, that's easier said than done, right? Let's be honest. It's no sweat to say, hey, listen, just don't be anxious and be thankful. But as soon as you finish saying it, you start worrying about something. It's real easy. Let me tell you how how sinful I am. It's easy for me to stand up here, preach this sermon to you about rejoice always and pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks. And as soon as we say amen and I get in alone with the car and Deb to look at her and go, how'd I do? Do you think they liked it? Does somebody like me? Somebody like me. After I stood here for 40 minutes and said, just trust Jesus. Don't don't think I'm up here. Listen, I'm not just a salesman. I'm also a client. All right? I get it. I get the struggle. It's real. You see, that word anxious or worry means to be pulled in different directions. I've often wondered if I did a survey, how many of you feel like you're being pulled in different directions? I think everybody in here would go, preach that, because I I know how that feels. If you're a young person at university, student in school, and you know you got exams coming, and there's car payments, and then there's you get married and you think, oh, marriage is all blissful. (laughs) Yeah, talk to me later about that. All right. And then you finally think, okay, we'll have grandkids. You get all the kids raised and you get them out of the home and you have grandkids. And then they all move back to your house and bring the grandkids with you, like Debbie and I are walking through right now. You just, life is doing that, you know. But it's funny, this guy, Dr. Walter Culvert, did a study and he discovered that 40% of your worries never happen. 30% of your worries concern the past. So 70% of your worries are worthless. 12% of your worries are needless health concerns. 
So it's kind of like the hypochondriac who's, who had written on the tombstone, I told you I was sick. All right? 10% of your worries are insignificant and petty issues. Only 8% of your worries are actually legitimate concerns. So what should that tell us? Let alone, this is the world that tells you this, let alone God's word. It says basically we worry a lot and it's worthless. I heard somebody tell me that worrying is like rocking in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't go anywhere. And how many times do we do it? But Paul says, no, rejoice always. Pray without seeking. In everything, give thanks. And notice what he says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so as we come to the table of the Lord, let me ask you a couple of questions this morning. And then we're going to observe the Lord's table together. Are you rejoicing always or only rejoicing some of the time? Do you realize that your rejoicing reflect, gets reflected in your prayer time? And likely, if you're not rejoicing and you're not praying, it'll be really hard for you to be thankful. But on this Thanksgiving Sunday, are you and I being thankful. You know, it is said here, rejoice, pray, and give thanks. If I stood up here at the beginning of this service and said, welcome to Calvary Baptist, happy Thanksgiving weekend, I want you to rejoice, pray, and give thanks, most of you would clap, 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 amen. That's a great way to start the service. But now let me add the adverbs. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. The Christian who walks with the Lord and keeps in constant communion with Him will see many reasons for rejoicing and thanksgiving all day long. And these three little verses give simple attitudes that believers need. A daily mix into our lives of joy, prayer, and thanks. And when these three qualities are present, believers will be vibrant lights and savory salt to a needy world. If you're going home to your turkey dinner, you know better than I do. If the right cooking has been done and that right mix of salt and stuff's been done, I need to stop now because it's all right. People are going, all right, wrap this up, big fella, because the turkey's cooking. You know you need the right ingredients to enjoy it. You want to enjoy the Christian life? You need the right ingredients. Joy of the Lord is your strength. Prayer, worshipful prayer is the power of God. That will lead to an attitude of thankfulness. Let's pray. Father God, as we now come to the table of the Lord, I pray that my friends and brothers and sisters and visitors that are here, well, now we come to the table of the Lord. But Lord, I pray that anybody here will know that they are truly a child of God. For Lord, to not know you is a reason to be anxious. To not have a relationship with you must bring worry because where would we go but to the Lord? And so as we now observe the table of the Lord, Help us to make much of you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.